place where the, the water is drinkable? Do you live in a place with sidewalks, with parks to play? We say exercise, can you do that? Do you have a job that allows you to purchase the food that you need to be healthy? And so it's very important that we address those things because those things often distract our members from taking care of their health. Hello, welcome to Healthcare Collaborations, presented by Johns Hopkins Healthcare, a podcast all about redefining the value of health insurance through provider collaboration. In this episode, we're deep diving the significance of social determinants of health and the actions that Johns Hopkins Healthcare and priority partners are taking to implement solutions to those barriers. I'm joined by two guests for this conversation, Dr. Nina Everett, the Chief Medical Officer of Priority Partners, and Kathy Petway, the Senior Director of Priority Partners. As one of nine managed care organizations in the state of Maryland, Priority Partners provides healthcare services for more than 340,000 recipients of Medicaid, Maryland Children's Health Program, and medical assistance for families. Serving the healthcare needs of many low-income residents, issues such as food insecurity, transportation, literacy, and financial stability often make it difficult for these individuals to get necessary health care. Listen on as Kathy and Dr. Everett explain the clinical impacts of these life challenges and the work Priority Partners is doing to support its health plan members in local communities. All right, welcome Nina and Kathy. Thank you so much for talking to me today. We're gonna to be talking about social determinants of health before we dive into that, though, uh, there's a lot of things that both of you do in your jobs. And I just kind of want to know what's the best part of your job. Uh, Nina, let's start with you. I mean, really, the best part of my job is working with a team of dedicated, bright and committed people and feeling like I am actually being part of the solution. Love that answer. Kathy. Uh, just adding on to what Nina said, um, I, one of the things we strive for is party partners to be the plan of choice. And I believe we have the right people on staff to make that happen. So knowing that the decisions that we make and the care that we offer is advocating for better life for our members uh, gives me joy. That's great, Kathy. Thank you so much. And that is a good lead in because what we are doing is trying to make the health and the lives of our members better. And health and life factors kind of go hand in hand with a topic we're going to discuss. We're going to talk about social determinants of health, which in its most basic is the life factors that prevent someone from achieving their best health. So that does go hand in hand in order to help someone achieve their best health. We have to help them improve uh, some of the, the life elements that they're experiencing. So uh, Dr. Everett, just from your experience in clinical care and healthcare administration as well, what are some of the biggest social barriers, some of those biggest social determinants of health that you've encountered? Well, Chris, I wanted to back up and start thinking about the clinical piece of health because that's the 20%. That's whether our members have access to accessible, affordable, and culturally relative relevant health. And that's about 20%. But the social part is the bigger part because that's about 80%. And the social determinants of health really um, reflect the areas of where you live, where you work, where you play. 
Um, do you have safe and supportive neighborhoods? Do you live in a place where the, um, the water is drinkable? Do you live in a place with sidewalks, with parks to play? We say exercise. Can you do that? Um, and then also your education, your jobs. Do you have a job that allows you to purchase the food that you need to be healthy? And so it's very important that we address those things because those things often distract our members from taking care of their health. Yeah. And when those barriers that you mentioned, when they go unaddressed, what are some of those outcomes that you've seen? Well, they directly impact the clinical piece. So if you live in a neighborhood that doesn't have a supermarket that you can buy fresh food and you eat a lot of processed food, that may impact your ability to lower your cholesterol. Again, if, you, if we tell you that you need to walk or exercise and you don't have a safe place to do that, then you can't follow through on those um, instructions in an effort to take better care of yourself. So if we don't address those barriers, then we can't make people more clinically healthy. Um, and it causes a lot of downstream problems. Thank you. And and Kathy, from your standpoint as healthcare administration, especially from, from a health plan perspective, it's not enough anymore to just provide coverage for healthcare services, is it? Not at all. As Nina stated with the data, the 2080 uh, rule, it is so important to make sure that uh, we understand and are knowledgeable of those social factors that she mentioned, those physical environments that she mentioned, because they are huge influencers of you know uh, people's decisions with their health. It determines whether or not they're going to show up for an appointment, whether or not they're going to be engaged, um, whether or not they're going to complete the information that is needed to make sure that they have a successful encounter with their physician, specifically primary care provider, if we can start there, you know, to just establish that initial relationship and we can take action if they, by chance, do have other health uh, conditions. So we, as a, as a health plan, we've got to be um, very much aware of those factors and their environment um, around housing, transportation, literacy, hunger, food insecurity. Some of the things, Chris, I hope we uh, talk about later on in this discussion. Absolutely. It's not just co-pays and co-insurance. It's coordination and advocacy, right? We need to help these members get into that care in the first place. And this has been for a while, but especially lately, has made its way all the way to the top of the organization. It's it's a it's a very critical priority for for us. Uh, Johns Hopkins Healthcare's CEO JP Holland um, has expressed a commitment to expanding priority partners' efforts around social determinants of health. Kathy, can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, um, he refers to in our goals something called the True North, and uh, these goals. Uh, not only benefit the organization internally, but there is a huge component around uh, our external customers, which is our members and why we're in the business that we do. And so it's important for us to uh, have community-based organization 
no partnerships, collaborations, um, and having our name in the community so that our members and the com surrounding community see us as a partner, a partner that wants to make sure that um, not only their clinical needs are being met, but those things that impact their health care, uh, as we discussed earlier, are being addressed too. And, and so Johns Hopkins Healthcare has made it a point to expand our community footprint because as party partners, we are a uh, statewide MCO. So that means we are open and eligible for members in all the counties within Maryland. So we have a lot of ground to cover and we wanna make sure that our members as well as those community-based organizations and other uh, helpful partner, community partners know who Priority Partners is and that we are looking to build bridges um, so that we can help one another um, address the community's needs. And then Dr. Everett, same thing as, as CMO of Priority Partners, the CEO of, of Priority Partners, Ed Kumian, has given you some direction and, and uh, you know, you're working together with him uh, on, on some specific focus areas too, at uh, the top of the, the health plan level. Can you talk about those a little bit? Absolutely. I am actually fairly new here. And when I interviewed um, Ed Kumian, our CEO, talked about True North and he talked about the need for us to be in the community. Um, he talked about wanting party partners to be number one in care and quality of care for our members. And so he asked me, what was my vision? And I told him the clinical part of this is small and it's everything else. I really want to focus on those things that I think can bring value to our membership. I certainly had been in managed care for a while and felt like I wanted to be part of an organization that was interested in really moving the needle by addressing those social determinants that have just continued to be barriers for our members. Great, thank you. And and so that's kind of the the setup, right? That's what this is. It's it's a priority for us. But let's dig into some of the ways that Priority Partners is actually addressing these social determinants of health barriers. Food insecurity is a prominent one, especially recently. Priority Partners has really taken the reins on that with a high profile Priority Partners cupboards project. Kathy, can you talk a little bit about that project, but also the other ways that you and your teams some of the things you're doing around nutrition and food access. Yes, thank you so much. And um, just as we just talked about the CEO of Friday Partners at Kumian and the president of Johns Hopkins Healthcare, uh, JP Holland, um, their, their desire to assist our membership. Um, I'm so excited to just share some of the initiatives that we're doing. One of the things that we've had in place for quite some time um, has been a relationship and partnership with the Maryland Food Bank to address food insecurity. Um, and, and we've had this relationship with them where they assist us in uh, hosting food drops in underserved communities and for our party partner members and others to come and um, receive bags of food. And I'm happy to report that we have delivered over. 600,000 pounds of food and, you know, the years that we've been in, in business and more. Um, but most recently, something that I'm really excited about 
is our coverage project. And the, our coverage project is twofold. Again, um, we're putting a lot of effort behind our food insecurity, addressing food insecurity in our population and communities. And so most recently, uh, we have partnered with boys and girls clubs um, throughout Maryland. Uh, we had a, a launch at the Annapolis Boys and Go Girls Club where we had a fleet of mobile units on display, which offers resources to neighborhoods without access to a club. So we have these vans, if I can call them that, and in the back, they are just filled with resources for the community. We're going to drive around to these neighborhoods. You know, the vans are decorated, you know, very creatively with fun colors. And we're hoping that it draws attention and people will know that this is a resource for them and come and take a peek in and then walk away with uh, resources and wonderful information about how to eat healthy, how to eat um, on a budget. Um, in saying that, I'd like to just briefly mention uh, a book that goes along with our Healthy Hats cooking demonstration. Um, and it is a New York Times bestseller entitled Eat Well on $4 a Day, Good and Cheap by Leanne Brown. So don't let the name fool you because it does not skimp on the information or, nutri or nutrients. So we are really putting a, a, a strong effort behind food insecurities with, again, our mobile units, uh, mobile pant cupboards. And then we have some stationary uh, cupboards, and I'll talk very quickly about them. These are cupboards that we've placed in communities such as Aberdeen, Edgewood, and Mount Winans. And so we have a very sturdy cupboard that is stocked with uh, dry goods and other resources like books and things. And um, people in the community can come in and take what they need. And then we're looking for donations uh, where we partner with community organizations and other people in the community to help us restock. Um, and so those have kicked off and are going well. And I'd like to just put a plug, if I can, Chris, on our website at ppmco.org. We have a donation page. So you might not live in those areas or travel, but food insecurity is something that's near and dear to your heart. Visit us at ppmco.org and check on our uh, covered projects page. And if you would like to, please feel free to donate and know and be assured that your donation is making an impact in the communities of Maryland. So thank you. I know that was kind of a long uh, answer, but I'm so excited about what we're doing in addressing food insecurity from the top down, you know. Um, and these projects, and we're going to be uncovering more. Uh, we're so excited about it. Yeah, thank you, Kathy. The The Cumberts Project has been an exciting thing for priority partners and, and the communities that it's been helping. If anybody's interested in learning some of the background on that, we have a previous episode where we talked to HGTV host Matt Minster, who, along with Chris Gundy, uh, Grundy and also an HGTV host, the two of them helped uh, priority partners with the designing and the momentum behind the campaign. So we had a design contest, designed the, the, the standing pantries, they built those, installed those. So if you're curious about more of that, check out that episode. Um, but yeah, the latest developments there with the mobile pantries, 
I was at that event in Annapolis. All three of us were at that event in Annapolis. And what a cool event that was. What a great way to work with a Boys and Girls Club and, and allow them to take their programming on the road to further assist the communities and the neighborhoods that can't access that club, as well as be able to provide, the, provide them with some food in a cupboard built in there so that they can take that on the go. Um, that The food access work is wonderful. I know also our community health advocate program is attending farmers markets in the summers and the springs and giving out tokens to members so that they can access fresh produce and fresh food where they might not be able to at the grocery store all good things that's going on in that nutrition and food access um, realm and then dr over just to go back to you too so these are uh, this is one of the the common social determinants of health these are some of the things priority partners is doing with that and those initiatives that that are addressing that how does that impact the health outcomes that you see? Oh, it definitely makes a big difference. And when Kathy talked about the, the cookbook, I actually looked through it and the um, the menus and the ingredients were, were great and the meals were great. And I think about the many years I spent as a clinician taking care of patients and saying, okay, you have diabetes, you need to eat like this not necessarily being mindful that when they went home, they didn't have any food or they didn't know how to cook what they have. So I like how the healthy hats not only gives them food, it shows them how to prepare it because now you empower people to better take care of them, take care of their health. And that will allow them to control many of the lifestyle diseases like high blood pressure and diabetes and high cholesterol, all things that could be impacted by what you eat and how you eat. And so we need to not only talk to our members, we also need to support our providers and make sure that they are aware of the resources that will help them manage the health condition of their patients. We're certainly invested in that. And we think this is one way that we can improve um, their health quality outcomes. Yeah, that's great. I was going to mention that cookbook too, that I was at one of those healthy hack events and one of those recipes from that book was used to, to be, was made uh, by, by executive chef at that event. And I'll tell you, it smelled fantastic. It tasted really good. And the fact that members can take that book home um, and they can take the ingredients for that recipe at these healthy hack events home and make that for themselves, for their families. This is a great opportunity. And, and we are looking for, I know Party Partners is looking for ways to, to continue to do more of those events and to, to, to further expand that access to, um, to other, other residents in the, in the areas that we serve. Transportation, I want to shift gears here a little bit. In an unintentional uh, uh, transportation pun there by shifting gears. But transportation is another. Um, thank you for that. Uh, transportation is another common barrier. Uh, Dr. Everett, what type of problems does lack of transportation, lack of adequate transportation uh, pose to, to members as well? Oh, it's a big one because we spend a lot of time telling members that you say, women, you need a mammogram. But then if I don't have transportation, they can't get to the mammogram. So without transportation, members cannot get preventative services that they need. And then it spills over because if I can't get to the doctor to take care of my health, then my health needs go unchecked and then they get worse. And then I'm so sick, I have to call an ambulance because see, that will get me to see a doctor. But at that point, we have missed many opportunities to allow for preventative and ongoing routine care 
And so thinking about transportation, as much as we think about writing the prescription is absolutely critical. Thank you. And Kathy, I'd like you to speak a little bit to some of what Party Partners does around transportation, seeing how, hearing how Nina just described the, the difficulties and the challenges and what that leads to with, without adequate transportation. What is Party Partners doing to help its members get rides to their appointments? Thank you, Chris. Um, Party Partners has a robust transportation program. And as innovation and, you know, the different types of transportation that are available, we try to stay in line with that. Uh, many years ago, it was about entering into contracts with the local taxi cab companies, cab companies in all the different counties. And with that, some of them had rules or jurisdictions that they couldn't go outside of, et cetera. But as we all know, Lyft and Uber has come in and saturated the market, and we've entered into relationships with them just as well. Um, so we are ready for our members, uh, just as Dr. Everett just uh, explained, if there is a, an appointment that they need, such as a mammogram, um, preventive care, et cetera, we are here to assist them. Um, we have a dedicated transportation coordinator. I'll mention her name, Tina Leonard, um, who is waiting by the phone to assist our members or doctor's offices if we need to assist in the coordination of travel uh, for our members to required appointments. The other thing that we also offer, because we have some members that have uh, disabilities, we do have mobile vans. So if they uh, are in a wheelchair or need some additional access to get to their appointment, we are not limited in that capacity. So uh, I wanna encourage uh, our members who may hear this podcast, if transportation is your barrier, don't hesitate to contact us and we will assist you in getting you to that appointment uh, in a safe uh, uh, ride, you know, via Uber, Lyft, or whatever mode might be for your respective need. Um, so, Chris, uh, we, we have done a, a, what I feel is a really decent job in addressing transportation for our members as far as being a, a barrier to their, their access to care. That's great. Yeah, can't get the care if you can't get to the care, um, and and that's that's such a big um, that's such a big service for for members. And so we talked about food access. We talked about transportation. Those are just two of many. Doctor Everett, you outlined several uh, up up top that that are critical to uh, to overall health. There's a host of them. Um, Party Partners has a care management team. They work one on one with members with complex condition management, with transition of care, with whatever they need for their care coordination or individual health needs. Dr. Ever, what's the value of a service like that where you can not only broadly apply something like transportation services to an overall membership population or um, food access in certain communities and, and programs, something that gets to that individual's need on a one-on-one -on -one basis? Um, yes, Chris, you actually hit the nail on the head with that question, because as you heard, we have many programs that support communities and populations, but we have individual members who are highly complex and have many more problems and need some hands-on um, care management and hand-holding, because oftentimes health literacy is an issue. And so sometimes it takes someone explaining exactly what is going on with one's health 
and helping someone understand the why to the things that are being asked them. Um, and then also making sure that things like they have housing. So again, all of this is a moot point if I'm distracted by the by the fact that I am couch surfing with my children. So it's very critical for some of our more complicated members to have a care management, a care manager who really works one-on-ones and understands their needs and then connects them to resources within the within the community that will empower them and give them the tools and the support in order to take care of their health. When we can do that, then we can keep people out of the emergency room because we've addressed the needs that they have. There have been plenty of studies that show that oftentimes people go to the emergency room because they're lonely. So if in fact we identify that as a problem, then the care manager could connect them to a resource. We have community health advocates, we have community health workers because sometimes somebody needs an in-home visit. Someone needs someone to accompany them to the provider office who can translate and make sure that they understand the instructions. So some of that can only be accomplished by working one-on-one and understanding the unique needs of our individual members. That's great. Thank you. And Kathy, you you had some examples, some concrete examples of, of ways that that manifested itself within our care management teams and some of the things that they were able to help members with. Could you reference a few of those examples, some of those ways that you know, a care manager has been able to assist a member and improve their health outcome. Yes, thank you, uh, Chris. And, um, you know, we have a saying in Party Partners, um, and you'll hear it from our special needs coordinator, our clinical screener, and our member services reps. And it's that we have to meet the member where they are. Uh, One size does not fit all. And yes, we do have policies and procedures in place But sometimes there are things that are going on in their life that need personalized attention um, and care administered for them. For example, um, we have experience where uh, we have uh, children who uh, have asthma and um, their conditions get get worse. And as Dr. Everett mentioned, they may end up going to to the ED. And so, Um, When we dig a little bit more into the case, we've identified that just having a mattress cover in the home can help with uh, their breathing and assisting with that particular condition. And as we know, a a mattress cover is not that expensive. And, you know, those are the types of things that Priority Partners wants to do to assist our members. Um, We have members who need assistance as as Dr. Everett was mentioning, you know, around health literacy and just understanding um, documentation. And that can be healthcare documentation, or it could be their own personal documentation, such as around housing and rules and things of that nature. So we have uh, many of our members um, may, may have to deal with homelessness. And so uh, we have partnered with many of the homeless uh, shelters to assist uh, and ensure that our members have uh, adequate um, uh, adequate housing or, or a place to stay based on the weather uh, conditions or where it's located. And um, that may mean that we have to partner with um, some 
hotels or different things that the homeless shelter might be utilizing to ensure that our members are warm, that their feet are dry with socks campaigns. I can talk about that in, in a moment um, because all of these things contribute to uh, making sure that our, our members are, are adequately taken care of. And it's a small thing, you know, even when I talk about socks, one of the things that the homeless shelters have, have told us that in the winter, uh, as we are now in November, our members, especially those that may be staying in shelters, um, they need socks, dry socks, because as we know, uh, the weather changes. And so we do sock drives um, and we make sure that our special needs coordinator drops off, drops off those socks to the respective uh, uh, shelters and um, homeless uh, organizations to ensure that men, women, and children have what they need. So I'm saying all this to say that it's important for us to have dialogue with our community-based partners and find out, you know, our members that are there, what is the need? Is it socks? Is it a mattress pad? Is it assistance with utility bills, you know, durable medical supplies? What are the needs that they are having and how can we assist? What can we do to assist with uh, the needs that they are experiencing from our members because we want to be that community partner that contributes as opposed to taking away from what our members need. You also brought up an important thing, which is the significance of working with community organizations. Priority partners can do a lot, has done a lot, is doing a lot in terms of recognizing and, and working with individual members on what those concerns are. Like you said, a utility bill that they can't get out from underneath that is impacting everything else. Um, a mattress cover, a cleaning air duct service, you know, something that is, is, is burdening them that they are unable to, to accommodate that priority partners is able to. However, there's only so much that priority partners can do that community organizations have that expertise and that bandwidth and and are able to do that. So working with the, the homeless shelters, like you said, working with the boys and girls clubs, working with um, other agencies uh, around the, the community, establishing and fostering and maintaining those those relationships with these organizations is such a, another critical component of, of all of this and, and how we do what we can and work with others to do what they can to ultimately get get members everything that that you know that they need or maybe not everything but as much as they as much as we can do and as much as those community partners can do i think that is an important aspect of this too community health advocates that team has awarded a few grants lately and is is really working with other speaking of working with a community can you talk a little bit about those efforts with community health advocates, some of the organizations they support and work with and um, directly through some of those grants that they have issued lately? Yes. Um, thank you again, Chris. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, we have uh, eight community health advocates that are strategically placed throughout uh, the state of Maryland. And the good part about them is that they live where they work. So they know the community. They know um the uh, members in that area, the culture, all of those types of things. And one of the things that's important for them to do is to build those relationships uh, with the community-based organizations. And then sometimes we find out uh, about a particular need or grant that could assist in those environments. 
and party partners uh, will is a considers ourselves a supportive partners and grants that benefit uh, things that align with our true north and without with our mission. Um, one that I can talk about real quickly is uh, because we talked about health literacy is we have uh, awarded scholarship and educational grants um, to uh, our members uh, and and and. Uh, we were very excited uh, about that, and uh, we even partnered with an organization called ACAP, where they have an educational grant, and our uh, party partner member, uh, based on what we were doing locally, they won on a higher level with, with ACAP. The other types of grants uh, oftentimes are around health literacy. They're around decreasing smoking or smoking sensation. Um, they also, we also have had grants related to uh, diabetes prevention. And so those are some of the grants that we support uh, because we know that, you know, it takes a village and all of us doing our little part. And we, as the payer, supporting these greater cause, they improve the health outcome of our members. So uh, our community health advocates are our eyes and ears out in the community, letting us know what's going on so that we can figure out uh, where we can best fit uh, to help them do the work and to have a greater impact, uh, greater impact in our community and for our members. So very excited about that. Um, you know, don't want to put a dollar amount to it, but we do put thousands of dollars behind that, those different initiatives. And, and the last thing I'll say about this, in-kind services. Uh, we put in-kind services uh, that go along with those grant opportunities, uh, both, you know, in different communities with our FQHCs and as well as our Johns Hopkins partners. And if anybody is interested in learning more about one of those grant opportunities and, and the result of that, we recorded and an episode that we'll release in conjunction with this with the executive director of Maryland Latinos Unidos. And that was one of, they received a $20,000 grant from Johns Hopkins Healthcare. And that is a way that you can, you can hear about that executive director doing that exact work in the community where they can really maximize that and, and impact um, a immigrant population with low health literacy and with some poor health outcomes who experience a lot of these social determinants of health that we are discussing here. So that will be released. You can listen to that um, from the executive director. It was a great conversation just to hear about the, the amazing work that they do for uh, the communities that they serve. And again, just one other way that party partners, Johns Hopkins Healthcare is um, supporting that effort, doing what we can do, but also looping in those who can do even more. And Chris, if I could just add, because when you had that response, it sparked my memory. Uh, the Catholic Charities, we just presented them with a, a grant donation uh, most recently. Um, and it was, I visited the location down uh, in Baltimore City and just what they're doing in that community and for that population, it was wonderful. So uh, we presented them with a, you know, a large check, and um, I think they were happy. The members were happy, and the tour of that facility um, was very enlightening. So uh, just wanted to give a shout out, if I could, to the Catholic Charities and their most recent um, 
um, donation that they receive. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy. All of that work is really amazing. Everything that we've talked about that Priority Partners is doing, Johns Hopkins Healthcare is doing, but it's really only the start. What's next for Priority Partners to continue to overcome these barriers to healthcare for members and communities? We talked about at the top how it is elevated to our CEO of Johns Hopkins Healthcare, the CEO of Priority Partners. What's next, Kathy? So what's next is um, going into the community and um, I would say helping the provider as well as the member um, and bridging that gap. Um, because what we have discovered um, is that we do have a um, unengaged population. And just because they're not engaging with us doesn't mean that we don't want to engage with them. We want to be good stewards and good partners with the Maryland Department of Health that has entrusted us with the lives of these members. So uh, what's next for us is um, putting together a, a detailed um, unengaged plan um, to help and, and outreach to our members as well as um, strengthening our partnership with our uh, provider community because they play a crucial part in making sure that our members have access to care. The last thing that I would I would say to, um, and I think it I think it's important and relevant with this conversation as well, is also investing in our staff um, because we need the right staff um, and making sure that they have the tools so that they can be successful in doing their job. Um, so I, I'm looking at it almost as a triangle. Um, so we have you know our members, we have our providers, and we have our staff. And in the uh, we we just want to work, you know, that um, workflow in a manner that produces outcomes, positivity, what we talked about early on and ensuring that both our members and our providers, as well as our staff um, are are happy receiving what they need. And most importantly, our, our, our members are satisfied and have access to quality care. You mentioned the unengaged population. Um, Dr. Ever, I want to kind of go back to you about that. How how important is that and engaging those? And, and, you know, it's kind of at sometimes you you don't know what you don't know for the reasons around why these members are not engaged in the healthcare system. What does that work look? What does that work look like for priority partners? We're spending a lot of time thinking about that because in my mind, healthcare is a right. And we have members who have a Medicaid benefit and who are not accessing it. So we really need to think outside the box. We know when our members are engaged, what their issues are. But we have to really think and understand, um, again, partner with community organizations, be part of the community to understand what are the needs are the people so that we can design programs that address those needs and help increase their level of wellness. And so I'm very passionate about that. And I know that's something that Ed is, and I am so um, excited to be part of a team of people who recognize the value in that, because we want to get people the care that they need. We want to help. Again, Kathy referred to the mission. It's 
individual wellness and, and improve the health of communities. And we really need to do both. Understanding that is critical. Kathy, you have one more uh, point about what's next for, for priority partners and where we go from here. Yes. One of the things that we did, and I'm so excited about it, is um, we did a social determinants of health showcase. So what happened as I was talking about, we invest in our staff. We uh, took volunteers of employees who wanted to participate in a showcase of different social determinants of health um, organizations and, and strategies that other uh, plans have used. And um, we had over, I think it was about, about seven, seven or eight employees sign up. They, they listened to them and then they presented the pros and cons and feedback about those social determinants of health uh, organizations and strategies that they reviewed um, an effort for party partners leadership to evaluate and we would come together and decide what's next because we talked very very detailed about food insecurity and transportation but with the dental plan um, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but dental benefits, adult dental benefits, which is something that we cover right now as a plan, we're no longer going to be responsible for that effective January 1. And that frees up a little bit of funds for us to apply uh, to other areas where we can address the healthcare needs of our population. And we, as a leadership and as a plan, believe uh Directing those funds towards another social determinant of health uh, area is crucial. And that's what we want to do. That is truly what is next in this arena. Um, we're excited about it. Uh, I can't wait for us to further dig into the results of the showcase and align it with our population and those needs. You know, uh, because as I said earlier, we have to meet our members where they are. So we want to make sure that we select something that has the greatest impact uh, for our population and what is needed in conjunction with food insecurity, transportation, what's next. Awesome. Dr. Everett, Kathy, thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise and for giving us a glimpse into the work that Priority Partners, Johns Hopkins Healthcare is doing for communities and the members who need it the most. Before we go, I just want to give you opportunity. Was there anything that we did not discuss? Anything else that you would like to share uh, before we leave? Chris, I'll go first. I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. It's, it's been wonderful um, to just highlight uh, the wonderful plan of Priority Partners and the work that we're doing. And um, I just want to uh, promote health literacy. Dr. Everett uh, touched on that a little bit, but we have noticed that we have a strong um, immigrant population on the Eastern shore. And we are putting our efforts around making sure that they have the resources, tools, and the translation of materials, special, specifically healthcare materials, so that they can understand and engage and play an important part in their healthcare. And then just add, we hope that all of the things that we do build trust. We hope by meeting people where they are and providing resources to what they need and empowering them, um, they will build the trust that will help us improve health overall.
I want to thank Kathy and Dr. Everett for taking the time to discuss this critical topic. They gave us a glimpse of some of the social factors that make it incredibly difficult for individuals to adopt a healthy lifestyle and seek preventive health care. This time, through community collaboration, Johns Hopkins Healthcare and Priority Partners are overcoming some of these obstacles. I mentioned a conversation with the Executive Director of Maryland Latinos Unidos. You can find that episode in our podcast library, and we'll link to it in the description of this episode. Dr. Lemus gives an even more personal account of the work her organization does with immigrants faced with social determinants of health. Thank you for listening.